Blog Talk Radio. Radio, and I'm Marcia Joyner, host of Betrayed by Hospice, brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit, and our producer, Marty Oakley. They provide us a forum to talk about the reality of what hospice really is. On this show, we don't sugarcoat what's going on because we believe you, the listeners, have the right to know the truth before you are duped as we were. Today, our elderly are being called for euthanasia, or plainly stated, premeditated murder, because they dare to use the money that was set aside for them via a contract with the government, with Social Security and Medicare or Medicaid. People are tricked into accepting hospice as a viable solution when a loved one is ill or has dementia or is old, and they tell you whatever they think you want to hear. They can make the patient and their life so much easier. It sounds great, right? Except it is a journey that will end your loved one's life prematurely and leave you in a nightmare reliving the horror of watching your loved one's life be snuffed out. They use smoke and mirror fairy tale to persuade you to let them help by sending a nurse to your home instead of you having to go to the doctor's office or to a hospital. They may even offer to bring you meals or do some light housekeeping. Do not become their next victim. Hospice staff are literally trained to manipulate you. They have a script that they give all the people, and the victims' families that I've talked to will tell you they heard the same thing. Any one of us across the country can give you the same script that we were told. They don't provide compassionate care. They don't follow through with their promises, and your life will be cut short, and the payment, it's the ultimate, you or your loved one's life. All of us were promised the moon and received a death warrant for our loved ones. But when you ask hospice staff what they initially told you they would do, somebody will say something like, I have no idea who told you that because we don't provide that service, smoke and mirrors. Check out the Facebook group, Murdered by Hospice. Why would such a group exist if so many of us had not experienced the same worst nightmare of our life? Michelle Young Doers wrote a book titled Killing for Profit, The Dark Side of Hospice, which shows the fallacies and the lies hospice staff will tell you. She was a hospice respiratory therapist, and she saw the quotas, yes, they have quotas, and the treatment of hospital and hospice patients firsthand. Her refusal to accept this cruel, inhumane treatment cost her her job, but it didn't cost her her soul. 
I encourage you to check this book out for yourself. There is a lot of information in it. Hospice was originally created to provide assistance to those who were actively dying, those that could not be treated with medication or procedures. It was meant to minimize pain if the person was in pain, but not to drug them into a coma and hasten their death with toxic drugs, starvation, and dehydration. But this is exactly what is happening today. The criteria to enroll is so watered down that going to the hospital three times a year or not being able to dress or feed yourself or being incontinent can qualify you for the death culture. And it's not your only choice. There are other home health care agencies that can provide services and will not drug your loved one. And not all hospices hasten death, but most do. And it's imperative that you research before you need help or consider hospice. Let me take a moment to clarify something. For anyone who is a hospice advocate that's listening or anyone who's had a positive experience with hospice, I'm not taking that away from you. If you or your loved one had end-stage cancer or renal failure or anything that could not be treated with drugs or a medical procedure and you or they were in pain, then yes, I believe a small dose of morphine is appropriate. I don't think anyone should have to be in pain, but hospice is using a one-size-fits-all and those who are not in pain are being given morphine more frequently and larger doses than would be needed to minimize the pain that most of the patients don't even have. Hospice is rarely compassionate, nor do they put your loved one's needs ahead of convenience and the almighty dollar. What on earth is compassionate about giving people toxic drugs that rush through their bodies and cause depressed breathing, hallucinations, anxiety, nausea, cramps, dizziness, and they literally take away their ability to function, to talk, to swallow, to tell their loved ones how they feel about them, to say the last words for the family, to say their last words to the person that's dying. They put in a catheter and they drug them. It makes it easier for the staff because they don't have to deal with them, and it's quicker to free the bed up for some other unsuspecting soul. And hospice. Even nonprofit hospices are a big money-making conglomerate today. Their compassion is for money, not patients. Unsuspecting people are being over-medicated with toxic drugs, starvation, and dehydration, while a hospice nurse will convince the family that the patient is dying. And now they are dying because they're being euthanized. And I say nurses because it's been my experience and my guest and other people that I have talked to that it was the nurses made the decisions because the doctors were rarely in to visit the patients, and they didn't talk to the doctors. It was the nurse. We value the sanctity of all life from conception through natural death. Today is a day to educate yourself on what is happening and what you can do to keep your loved ones safe from harm before you are faced with the decision. After your loved one is enrolled in hospice, 
In most cases, they start going downhill quickly. If the patient is at a facility, the next time you see them, they're groggy, they've stopped eating and drinking, and they may say to you, it's a dying process, and hand you a nifty little pamphlet with the signs of dying for you to read. Your loved one seems to have all these symptoms, so it must be true they're dying. But they weren't when you left them or saw them a day or two ago. How did it happen so quickly? Was it because the hospice staff knew it was their time to die? No. They knew it was they were going to die because they started drugging them. That's what happened to my mom. It's what's happened to all of the people that have been on here. It doesn't mean that it's too late for you to take action, but you have to act quickly. If you have home hospice, they come to your home and they leave a comfort kit with the family that has everything they say you'll need, just in case. You don't have to use it, but in case you do. And they'll tell you how to use these drugs and start administering them. If you start giving them to them, you are starting the death process. Some of the drugs in that kit are morphine, which is also called Roxanol, anti-anxiety medication, Ativan or lorazepam, or anti-psychotic drugs, Haldol and Seroquel. Or it could have some of all of these in it, something for pain, something for anxiety, and one of the anti-psychotic drugs. And you might not think about asking yourself why they need this, because at a time like that, we can't think. And we're not going to ask them, well, what's this drug for? What's this for? You should. And when they say this is to keep them from being anxious, are they anxious? They haven't been before. What makes them think they are now? They've never been. The drug they use is one side, and it is size, and it's meant to hasten their death. Do not fall victim to these lies, and don't let them give the drugs to your loved ones or convince you to. Seek help and advice from Halo Voice, that's H-A-L-O Voice, dot org, and they have a phone number. It's 888-221-HALO or 881-221-4256. They have a helpline you can call and talk to someone and find out what you need to do if you're in a situation like this. Or Google the drugs. Or there is a group, an an agency in every state that is right to life. So it would be Georgia right to life, Virginia right to life, California right to life. Look them up in your area or call an ombudsman. There are options and you need to know your resources before you get into a situation like this. The drugs that they give them that I mentioned before have many side effects such as drowsiness, dizziness, depressed breathing, confusion, nausea, hallucination, irritability, mood changes, lack of appetite, constipation, and combining these drugs makes them more deadly. Once your loved one has these drugs, they can convince you that they need to give them more because they are exhibiting signs of being irritable 
or is depressed or dizzy, they're exhibiting the signs because the drugs they gave them are causing those symptoms. So they can convince the family, let me give them more. Do not become a victim. That's what they did to my mom. That's what they've done to other people's family. We just don't want you to go through this. Your loved one is acting different. They're sleeping all the time. They now can't eat. They're not drinking or they're moaning. Remember, if you gave a young, strong, healthy person the same drugs that they are giving to our elderly, the duration, the amount of time between, and the combination, that young, strong, healthy person who has no disease would die. So how is it not that these people were murdered? They were and they are. If a person is not actively dying, it is my personal opinion, as well as others, they should not be enrolled in hospice. Hospice has crossed a line and needs to get back in the lane that they were meant to have. A person is actively dying, cannot be treated, and needs something to minimize pain, not hasten their death. But it is cheaper to euthanize than to treat someone who may require more medication and doctors or hospital visits. A patient in the family should be told what any of these drugs are going to do before they are administered to them. There should be signed consent after a true discussion. But the fact, again, is they're not minimizing it. They have started the process for euthanasia. They do not tell you the truth, and they do not have consent to give these drugs to our loved ones. It is called stealth euthanasia, and it is only going to get worse. The baby boomers are coming up. Now we need a place to put them. They are trying to create more hospice facilities to take care of the baby boomers. Can you imagine turning 65 when you can retire and collect Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and all this kicks in and somebody makes a determination you've outlived your usefulness? We're not going to live to be 80 and 90 because they're not going to let us. They are calling the elderly, and that age is getting younger every day. I believe that many of the people who died in the nursing homes with COVID were helped cross over with the same toxic drugs, and in many cases, hospice was called in to help because they were accustomed to dealing with dying people. Yes, because they are accustomed to hastening their death. Toxicology reports were not done because the families didn't suspect. They didn't know what we know, and that's why we talk about it. There is another Facebook group that is called Voices for Seniors, and those members lost their loved ones to COVID. They couldn't get in to see them, as we will hear tonight from our guest, Stephanie. I'm passionate about this because my mom was euthanized in Georgia in the summer of 2017. She wasn't terminal, and she was being successfully treated with medications for congestive heart failure. They started her on morphine, Ativan, and 100 micrograms of fentanyl. 
We tried to stop the medications, move her to a hospital, and we were told she would die from drowning if they gave her fluids. You don't want your mom to die like that, do you, sweetie? They were so sweet and smarmy talking to us, and we suspected something, but we just didn't know, and we had been taught, like everybody else has, that they're compassionate. We could not believe what was going on in front of us. The bottom line is, they are good at manipulation. We are trying to save people. And if it's one or two, we're fine with that. Any that we can save and keep them from going into hospice is what we want to do. Trust your instincts. If you think something's wrong and your loved one quickly turns for the worse, get them out. Don't listen to that what they tell you. And, again, a good site, halovoice.org. I'm going to repeat that phone number, one eight 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 two two one halo They also have dangers of hospice on their site, and they have information on why a living will is not a safe document to have in place and protect yourself. They have samples. There are places to go. Please look those places up. This show is about warning people and trying to save a life. Tonight, we will discuss another death by toxic drug cocktail, starvation, and dehydration, and someone else who was caught in the middle of this COVID. As our vulnerable and innocent loved ones are taken from us in the dead of the night under the guise of hospice compassionate care, the government stands by and does nothing to stop these murders. Where is justice? Tonight, my guest is Stephanie Dara, who lost her dad, Robert Miller, at the age of 74, whose death was hastened this year on July the 13th. As I stated, he is a victim of hospice and COVID lockdown, where his family was denied access to him in his greatest time of need and comfort. They were not able to protect him. Stephanie Again, I'd like to tell you how sorry I am for the loss of your precious dad and give you the opportunity to share your dad's story with our listeners. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Marsha, for allowing me this. You just let me know when you're ready for me to start. <laughs> I'm ready for you to start. Tell us about your dad. What was your dad like? Thank you. Um, my dad, oh, my goodness sake, there isn't a big enough room to contain his personality. <laughs> um, a family man, very active, married my mother, his high school sweetheart, for 55 years. Um, traditional family supported us, our family of four. Um, he worked for Bell South. Um, it was turned into AT&T for 34 years. Um, he was in management. He retired early at 54. Um, my father was the guy that never met a stranger. Hilarious. Uh, again, so extremely active and involved in, in his children's lives. I uh, loved to dance. When uh, he retired, my mother and he traveled to Italy, Dubai, Germany. Um, at his celebration of life, 
um, the theme of it was um, one of his um, employees back in the day called my father the most loved man in the room every Mm -hmm. time, no matter where he was. And he was. Um, So, to tell his story, um, he also, he was a strong man. He beat a triple bypass. He wasn't the healthiest back in the day. He had two stents after that, but he beat it. He beat gastric bypass. He um, was insulin dependent on diabetes, and he beat that. He he had his diabetic medication cut down by half. He was a survivor. He was strong. Um, Up until the point when he went into Jupiter Medical Center, he suffered from back pain um, due to, I think it was an injury where he was in, uh, he hit his tailbone hard in a boating accident. And so he suffered from pain uh, due to arthritis um, in that area and sought out every treatment you can imagine. On Thursday night, on June 11th, he woke up at 3 a.m. in the middle of the night, confused and disoriented, as my mom would call it. And he was, he said, take me take me to the hospital, Star. That's my mother's name. Take me to the hospital. He said, actually, he said, take me to the hospital. It's time. It's over. My dad, my mother rushed him and got him in the car and um, took him to Jupiter Medical Center emergency room. My dad was walking, talking, eating, and drinking. In fact, the day before, <laughs> mom and dad were actually playing cards. My dad was a was an amazing card shark. They played euchre and hearts. He was a card shark. <laughs> Very quick. Mm-hmm. Um, they ushered him. My mother, of course, because of COVID, was not allowed to be with my father. They ran tests. He was disoriented again. He was extremely delusional. My mom actually thought that he had had a small stroke. Um, they ran blood work on him, and everything came back normal. On the second day, on June 12th, Dad was completely not himself. He refused everything. He refused the MRI. Um, he he actually wet himself, and he's a very prideful man. This is not something so out of character. So we as a family knew there was something not right with him mentally. He had, Maybe he had a breakdown. Something was awfully wrong. But we couldn't get to him. We couldn't advocate for him. He wouldn't answer the phone. When he did, he'd say, I don't want to talk. He was totally out of character. He wasn't cooperating with the health professionals at that time. He was almost a little bit belligerent. And being the fact that we couldn't see him, we we couldn't... We weren't allowed, doctors and nurses weren't answering our phone calls. We were demanding, and we're a family that was, you know, is not, we're not people to, to just sit back. We actually, um, we we met in the lobby that same day in the hospital nurses, uh, the charge nurse and, the, and the, his particular nurse at that time came down, and they didn't know, they, they, they hadn't consulted, they didn't know. What 
what we were saying didn't make sense to them because they obviously hadn't been in to see or whatever. His psych doctor that was assigned to him on June 13th, the day after, there was nothing in his blood work to indicate anything, you know, as a stroke. He couldn't diagnose anything off the, off of, right off the bat. He didn't understand. And, and he bakerasted my father. And he never, they never explained to us what that meant. Did that mean? I mean, we were, we were thinking we were going to try to get him into, to see a psychiatrist or into a facility. But we didn't know if that Baker Act was, was going to be executed at the hospital in three days. Or, or was it supposed to be when he goes, when he was accepted into a facility? Well, as it turns let me, out. Let me stop yes, you ma'am. just one second for the listeners because um, Baker Act is not something that we are all familiar with. So can you explain um, what the Baker Act is? Well, when a person is belligerent or when they are expressing their they're not themselves or they are and this wasn't true for my dad, I mean if you if you if you are like saying that you want to kill yourself or you're exhibiting like that you're a danger to yourself that they have the power to baker act you so that that doesn't happen. But it we we are we were still confused because I mean, Dad was definitely in a in a in a different state of mind. He was not himself, and <laughs> my mom will tell you if you ask her right now. My dad suffered some sort of mental breakdown, but nothing came back in 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 his neurological reports. Nothing, and the the doctor even said the psychiatrist, "I don't know what's going on." So he, but he Baker acted my dad. And and still not quite clear as to as to why that happened, and we never got answers. The next okay, day we let, were at the hospital. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, let me just explain that. Okay. So what this means for our audience is that for 72 hours yes. after he arrives at the hospital, then they have to have a psychiatrist come in to determine whether or not he is a danger to himself or to anybody else. So they put you in lockdown. They've made the decision for you. So Robert, or her dad's name is Robert, or Bob, was not allowed, nor was his wife Star, to make any decisions based on this. It had to be a psychiatrist. So it's a lockdown. A Baker Act is a lockdown. So I just wanted to clarify that. Yes, ma'am, you're right. A lockdown on top of a lockdown because we weren't able to actually, you know, Nobody would return our calls because of the COVID lockdown at, the, at Jupiter Medical Center. So we weren't quite sure. Does that mean he's going to be transferred to a facility and then the lockdown happened? Or anyway, the lockdown happened at Jupiter Medical Center. Um, we, the family that we are, we met with the charge nurses. We demanded to see them in person downstairs in the lobby. They couldn't tell us anything because they hadn't <laughs> spent enough time. Um, nobody told us anything about the details of the Baker Act. But during that time where he basically, my father festered in the the 72 hours, um, supposed to be guarded. I guess they have a person who's, you know, supposed to stand guard the whole time. My father aspirated. And we still, to this, we don't know how that happened. Aspirating meaning he choked. 
Um, we have no idea. We we weren't even made aware until probably the next day. But my father, he declined so quickly. Um, he couldn't walk. He couldn't talk. Um, he went so progressively downhill. It's when my family decided that this is something is terribly wrong here. We need to get him out of there. So we initiated and hired a lawyer, um, one of the, the best in uh, Miami um, for malpractice, one of the, actually the third best in the, in the country to get him out because we weren't getting any communication. My, my dad was now completely non-responsive, almost infantile in a matter of days, on, day, on, the, on, the, on the 18th. When the hospital caught wind that we were getting him the hell out of there, the hospitalist, who I'll never forget his name, and I'm not going to say it here, but called my mother because they were, uh, you know, alerted that we were getting my father out and that a hospital hates two things. They hate transfers and they hate people that come back after something they've been treated with because they get hit mm-hmm. hard. Right. My mother was on the phone. And I, I was actually talking to her, and my mother has a landline, one of the few people that does. Anyway, they called, and I was on speaker, and I heard the hospitalist say to my mother, how are you paying for this transfer? I hear you've been trying to get a hold of me. I want to know how you're paying for this transfer. And I lost my mind, and she had to hang up on me. But she said to him, are you kidding me? This is what it's about? This is about money? Are you telling me this is about money? Is my husband dying? This is, and he said to her, yes. Okay, this is before his transfer. We were able to get him out. Yes. We got him, finally we got him out. And we transferred him to Cleveland Clinic, who our attorney told us was the, one of the best hospitals in the country. Okay, but now he has bacterial pneumonia, right? Yes, ma'am. He was, yes. Okay. I'll back it up. I'm so sorry. Yes. That's okay. He was diagnosed with bacterial pneumonia, and he was put into ICU at Jupiter Medical Center on the um, seventh day. And we had been screaming and screaming to at least allow my mother to be with him. And I said, when they told me he was being transferred to ICU, the charge nurse on his floor said to me, we're transferring him to ICU because he's going to get better care. Those were her, her words. And I said, as opposed to the care that he's been receiving, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. I said, we, we have initiated the transfer to get him out. I need my mother to be with him. They put him in ICU. They were asking us if we, about the DNR, about, you know, do we want to put him on a ventilator? No, 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 no. They, because I screamed, and my brother screamed at the top of high heaven. We are allowing children to be in Jupiter Medical Center with their parents. My dad is now reduced to practically an infant. How can you deny my mother to be with him? They let her come in, and she laid with him in the ICU bed for two hours before my father was transferred to Cleveland Clinic. In Cleveland Clinic, the first day he was there, they actually gave him more attention than Jupiter Medical Center dinner the whole week. They tested him for everything. He tested negative for COVID. 
they did a lumbar puncture. They did a lumbar, they did a spinal tap. They did all of it. Nothing came back to help us understand what was wrong with him mentally, other than the fact that they said he has bacterial pneumonia as a result of the aspiration that happened during the Baker Act. Mm-hmm. So um, he went into ICU there after they, you know, determined, um, okay, he's got a bacterial infection. So they treated him. They treated him, and they treated him harshly with antibiotics. They, they, they really, they worked, they did, they did. They, they shot him up with antibiotics. And they had the, the bacterial pneumonia in hand. He actually moved into a step-down unit. We were able to see him. And mind you, okay, Cleveland Clinic is in western Florida. It happens to be a hot spot for COVID. But they did allow my mother, they did allow my brother and I to see him that night in, the, in ICU. And my mother, consequently, they let one person be with my father, okay, on a daily basis. So we thought we were able to see him in ICU. He actually moved into a step-down unit. He eventually ended up into a private room on the 27th, his birthday of June. My father was sitting up, whereas before he was infantile. (laughs) My dad was sitting up. He was talking. He was eating graham crackers drinking apple juice on his birthday. We were so delighted. We were, it was unbelievable. Oh, absolutely. He's turned turned the corner now. Yes, ma'am. Yes, Mm ma'am. My brother actually spent the day with him. My mother gave up her day because my brother lives in Colorado so that my brother could spend the day with him. Um, It was, I have pictures of him. It was, oh, man, we're winning. Um, That, unfortunately, was his last good day. We were beginning talking because he had lost so much weight. He was weak because of what he had endured up until this point, completely weak. So, of course, he's going to need rehab. He's going to need physical rehab to get himself back up to the man that could, you know, sit up straight, walk, talk, and gain his muscle, muscle back. Um, just before he was, we were researching, um, um, we were researching um, rehab places near us so that we'd be able to go see him, and we were very confident. Um, unfortunately, um, on on July second or so, twenty between. He, my dad, before they were able to move him into the rehab facility, he tested, they tested him, and he tested positive for COVID. Now, mind you, when he went into Cleveland Clinic, my dad tested negative for everything, including COVID. Mm-hmm. So my dad tested positive for COVID, and the way that it works is that you have to have two, two, two positive tests, one through the nose and one through blood work. And I remember the nurse telling me, it's so, I said, how could he test what? (laughs) And she said, it's very political here. She didn't really address my question, but she said, it's very political here. The testing is crazy. But the test came back, both of them, positive. 
so from that day, my father was put into isolation on July 2nd. In isolation, there was no communication. We weren't able, at this point, it was like he was lost in Wonderland. And as aggressive as a family as we are, that we were able to get my father transferred, we were that same family. I tried. We, we tried to reach him via iPad. His iPad ended up in somebody else's room. When he finally was able to have his iPad, I looked at him and he wasn't, he was a shade of who he was, and he would drop it. The nurse would be nowhere to be found. He stopped again. He stopped eating. He stopped talking. It was hit or miss if we could actually get somebody on the phone. And granted, you know, my mother and I, we camped out. We, we moved literally to Weston, which is a good two hours from where we are. We couldn't get the same story. It happened again. It was like a nightmare. We couldn't get anybody to talk to us. Finally, we said enough. My mother said, I want him home. We're done. He had to have two negative tests to get out. My mother said, we're done, enough. We brought him home. We requested to have him discharged on July 7th. My mother went to pick him up. They put my father in the car, completely naked, with a a plastic. It wasn't a sheet. It was like a tablecloth wrapped around, tied around his neck, completely naked. My mother drove him home. We got him home in the driveway. I was waiting with a friend of mine to help him to get him into the, a wheelchair to get him in the house. My father had lost 55 pounds in a month. Well, as we were lifting him into a wheelchair to get him into our home, the home that he lived with with my mother and built for 55 years, 40, I'm sorry, 40 years. As we're lifting him out, I could see something on his bottom. And I didn't, like, you know, our focus was to get him in. I got him in the house. He rested against me for a good portion of time, just resting. We put him in the bed that we had, you know, prepared for him. And what we saw was absolutely something out of a, a horror show. It's all the way I can say. My father had a, a necrotic, oozing, bleeding, black pressure sore the size of an extra-large dinner plate on his bottom. And if I can add to that at this point, um, Stephanie sent me the picture of that and she, when she first said that to me, I thought, oh, my, you know, you know, it might be the size of a softball, right? No, this is the size of a dinner plate. It covers either side of his bottom and in the middle. It is horrible. And that is the way they sent him home with this plastic around his neck. They never told them anything about this pressure sore, bed sore, that had, you know, was bleeding and pus and was highly infected. Um, he had also tested negative twice for COVID before they would release him to his wife. 
but honestly, in what she's saying, that bed sore was horrendous. So I just wanted to point that out. Go ahead, Stephanie. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. So I immediately was on the phone. My son, my 23-year-old son, is actually an emergency room nurse. So when this, we brought him home, I called him immediately. And his words to me were, Mother, this is Nursing 101. This is something that is absolutely horrific. This is Nursing 101, and it's pure neglect. We did call them the next morning, and I actually emailed the charge nurse on the floor at Cleveland Clinic in the isolation ward, and I, I sent her the picture. But she couldn't speak to me. She immediately fired the picture to her supervisor, who actually called me the next day, or no, called us that not, not long after and said, are you certain that this bed sore didn't start at Jupiter Medical Center? Anyway, it was a it was a ridiculous game. It doesn't matter where it started. How in the hell did my father end up like that? <laughs> anyway, right. it did it get um, that bad? They didn't treat it and they it? didn't tell you about it. No, ma'am, it wasn't wrapped when he. Like I said, when we received him, there was nothing on it. So who knows how long mm-hmm. he laid there? You know, and and when he we. We got him home, and Dad would, would cry out in agony. He he wasn't speaking normally, but he was, like, taking ice chips. I would run in every half hour. He would say, ice chips. He would, like, and he would moan and groan, and it was as if, and my mom said to him, Bob, did you have to do this? Is this why you're doing this at all hours of the night, honey? Were you, like, left alone? Were you? Is this why you feel, you don't have to yell out? We're here. We were awake 24-7 with him. Mm-hmm. It just makes me it makes me know that he 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 was completely neglected. Yeah. So on seven eleven, and uh, I now know that people that have aspirated have hospital acquired aspirational pneumonia. It happens. It, it creates scar tissue in your esophagus. It makes sense. My dad started to choke at home. We were caring for him so we had him. I was changing his bed sore wound. My brother was lifting him in and out of the bed. He was so loved those days that he was at home. He was cared for. We raised him. That um, on, the, on the 11th, my dad started to choke again, um, not able to breathe and was, was in serious distress. So we as a family, my brother, my mother, and I put him in the car and we drove past Jupiter Medical Center because I'll never step foot in there again. We drove him to Gardens Hospital. And that night, the doctor was saying that it did not look good. And my mom said, I need a hospice consult. The nurse came in and said, a male nurse said, my mother had expressed, if we want him to go into hospice and we want him to be at home, the nurse said, we feel that it would be better for him to go to our hospice facility. 
Well, we've already, you know, what do you say? We didn't, we're not, okay, okay. With the with the plans that, okay, he'll go there, and then we will, we will bring him back home. So we put him in this facility. She agreed to have him go into the hospice facility in West Palm Beach instead of home. The next morning, Dad went in. Dad went in that late that night. The next morning, Mom was on the phone immediately. And she said, we have a nurse in the family, my son. We want him home. We want him home. We want to bring him home. That was on the 12th. We, she said, I don't even know what, what she said. We said, after that, my mom said, when can we come visit? We had to schedule an appointment. Hospice required you to schedule an appointment. In gardens, I neglected to say, in gardens, tested him, and he came back COVID positive. <laughs> after being... Negative, whatever. He tested positive for COVID. So my father was put into the COVID ward of hospice. So we had to schedule an appointment to see him. We believed hospice at this point. Still, the loving, caring, air quotes, organization that it is, we were going to be able to see my father. Instead, when we get there, the nurse that we had scheduled the appointment with couldn't make the appointment. We still don't understand why. We had a volunteer walk us. We thought we were going to be walked inside. She took us instead outside around, through a hedge, through mud, outside of my dad's window, which happened to be from Florida ceiling. And I, my mother said, are you kidding me? And she said, unfortunately, this is the way that it is because of COVID. We're like, where's the nurse? We had an appointment. Well, I'm sorry, she's not able to be here. Why? Well, I'm not quite sure. But if you have any questions, I'll write them down and I will get them to her. So at that point, Mom and I are banging on the window, and my dad is laying there. Not like a hospice room that, that I had looked up, you know, with pictures and a warm, beautiful bed and all this stuff that they tell you. My dad, there wasn't a picture on the wall. There wasn't, it was barren. It looked like it was horrific. And he's laying there in the bed, his mouth wide open. We were banging, banging, banging. Dad, Dad, my mom, Bob, Bob, we're here, we're here. Can you hear us? Can you try? He was gone. He was, he was non-responsive. And to this day, I hope to God he knows we were there. The volunteer, my mother said, we want him. We want him home. We want him home now. She said, okay. Okay, well, um, I I will relay that to the nurse. And we'll get that that started. Well, he died on the 13th alone by himself. And we got the call. And, you know, we, we read through the records at the, at the end, and, and I'm quite sure. I'm not even certain that, you know, they, they have to go in at certain times. But I'm, I'm quite sure my dad wasn't receiving nutrients or hydration. No. Um, I, from what I've learned from you, I now know 
and, and, and the final, the very final blow this COVID, and I call it the COVID card. It's what killed my dad from beginning to end. The final blow was that my mother, my father and my mother both requested in their, in their will to have a natural cremation because my father, air quotes, tested positive for COVID, my mother was not able, none of us were able, my mother, especially at 55 years, her, her wife, right. was not able to identify his body. The funeral home would not let my mother come in and see him and identify. And, and going through the comedy of errors that we had experienced since the beginning, were we really even sure that was my dad? You know, all the thoughts start racing in your mind because we were disregarded in so many ways. And, 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 and there's some stuff that I haven't even shared, you know, just little things. And we really were like, Are, really? Are, you're not going to let us? And the, and the funeral home, I feel like, tried to extort because they said, you can see your father, you can see your husband if you agree to let us embalm him. And our statement was like, are you kidding me? Absolutely no. If my mother can't suit up, we would have worn a hazmat gear. We would have worn everything there was to wear for my mother to go in. And Absolutely. Fact, we would have done it from the beginning. Even in the hospital, we would have done that. You can't tell me that nurses and doctors, what do they do? They go through irradiation every day before they see patients? No, they don't. It's ridiculous. Well, how are so, they? No. No, and how right. are the people getting COVID if it's not either from other Thank you. patients in there or from the hospice staff that's coming in? I exactly. mean, you could have been tested, take your temperature, you know, put yeah. your PPE stuff on and go in and stand six feet away from him to let him know that you were there. Absolutely. It's cool. And here's the th- it's cool You're right, Marcia. to do that. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. My brother... Myself, my 15-year-old son, my 24-year-old son, we hugged him. My mother kissed him every day while he was in Cleveland Clinic. I I cleaned his pressure sore. We were all over him, and none of us and, <laughs> contracted Right, COVID. nobody got COVID, right? No, ma'am. Not even my 74-year-old mm-hmm. mother, okay? So right. it, it's crazy. So at the very end... We, my brother, was sent a picture of my father seven days after his death. I'm quite certain that my brother is never going to forget that image. And I said, please share that with me so that I can bear that burden with you. And he, he refused. He said, there's no way in hell. So from beginning to end, my family, and you know what, Marsha? My family is not a family to lay down. We got my father transferred out. We did what we had to do. My dad would have been dead in a week had we not done that. Okay, but right. here's the thing. What is happening to families that don't have the resources, that don't have, it's happening over and over and over and over. If you are over, and I truly believe, if you are over the age of 70 and you go into an emergency room in today's world, It's Russian roulette. You're not coming out. Right, right. 
It's well, that's what I was saying earlier. The what is the the age that they're going to decide that your life is no longer of any value and you're useless. In the Holocaust, they called them useless feeders. So after you retire and now you are just taking resources, you're not contributing. And who makes the decision of what you're contributing? Your dad contributed to his family because he loved his wife and he loved his children and he was a family man and his grandchildren. Who makes that determination of you're no longer useful and you're not contributing? It's a contract that you make with the government when you start to work that when you turn 65, you're going to start getting, and you retire, you're going to get Social Security, you're going to get Medicare, you're going to get Medicaid. That's a contract, but yet because, and I'm not going to get political here, but because they've spent the money on doing something else or you've got people who didn't pay into it now taking out of it, then the people who paid into it their entire life to protect them for their older years when they can retire and not have to get up early in the morning and fight traffic and go into work, that is stolen from them. So let's just end their life. What is wrong with our society that we think this is okay? It isn't. And you and I were talking earlier that if you were driving down the road and somebody came and carjacked you and shot you, then people would go after them. The police would go after them and, you know, this is a horrible crime and we're so sorry that, you know, your mom, your dad, your, you know, husband, whatever, was involved in this crime. They go after them. Somebody is going to go on trial for carjacking or coming into your home and shooting you. But because it is an older person that is useless, they don't care about them, and because hospice or the medical facility is doing it and drugging them, I have no doubt that your dad had been drugged from, you know, you trying to get his attention outside the window. But because hospice is doing it, it is condoned premeditated murder. They know what is happening when they start giving them those toxic drugs. They know what it's exactly. going to do to them. I believe and they're that getting the away. Day, There's no justice. The day that my dad was belligerent and he was not responding and he didn't want to have the MRI and he wasn't taking phone calls, he was so out of his character, and that alerted us. And I believe that the reason he aspirated is because they gave him something. And, you know, a, a belligerent patient, okay, uh, they gave him something that made him weak and it made him choke. And I, I, the, I the reason that the, the beginning of the decline happened when my father contracted aspirational pneumonia, he went in with a, having a mental breakdown. And that alone, you know, as, as a country, we don't address mental health at all. But doctors and nurses, especially right now during COVID, having people families not in their faces advocates not being there to speak up it's given them a vacation and you know they probably were like i mean i can only surmise oh bob miller is you know he's he's refusing this he's a little bit belligerent let's just knock him out a little bit and then right. <laughs> it, it, exactly 
And it, we've had Barbara Page on a couple of weeks ago, and the same situation with her dad, because he, you know, they were fishing for um, his vein because it, you know, had fallen out. The IV fell out, and he said, told him to stop it. And the next thing she knows, within five hours, her dad is dead because they gave him a double dose of Haldol oh because God. he was combative. That's what they say. And the thing is on the drugs. Haldol, and and I don't know what at this point you and I have talked about homework assignments, um, but and you don't have the actual drugs that they gave him. But Haldol is an antipsychotic drug for treating mood disorders, schizophrenia, or bipolar. Seroquel is for mood disorders, de- depression, and Tourette syndrome. And typically our loved ones don't have this, but when you give that to an elderly person along with Ativan and morphine, which is typically what they do, you and I have talked about the ham sandwich, Haldol, Ativan, and morphine. When they give them the three of those drugs, it alters their mood. It makes them where they cannot swallow, they cannot think, it depresses their breathing, they can't drink anything so they're going to become dehydrated and you had talked earlier about your dad wetting the bed your dad was tested for a uti and it came out negative every test they ran came out negative they could not determine what was wrong with him and yet three o'clock in the morning he wakes up disoriented and not knowing what's going on around him Mm -hmm. and he you know Mm -hmm. he immediately knows something's really bad Take me to the hospital. Yes, but ma'am. they never determined what it was. Nope. And they wouldn't let now, us bring in a second opinion until the end. Uh, don't get me started on hospitalists. But they would not let us get a second opinion until we brought in a lawyer at the end, and they were they were backtracking really quickly. And we never got the second opinion because we got my dad out of there. Well, and the thing is, they tested him for COVID initially. Yes, ma'am. At, at and he was Clinic. negative. Right. Yeah. And he was negative at mm-hmm. that time. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he was. So they never determined what it is, and yet mm-hmm. the documentation, the, and, and you know, I'm Back not saying this word, yeah. but the certificate states. The death certificate, I'll say it. Yes, ma'am. COVID. Yes. And it. That's what they say he had, but yet they never could really figure out what it was. And I'm not saying that, you know, that doctors know everything, but shouldn't they determine what the cause was? This was June. This was not in March and April time frame when COVID was totally new and nobody knew anything about it. This was June, July. Yes, it was less than June, yeah, June, July, June 11th, July 13th. It happened right. that quickly, and my dad, One month. like I said, lost 55 pounds. He he looked like a Holocaust victim, and it was because he was neglected, and he was starved, he was he was dehydrated, dehydrated and drugged, neglected and because of the sore. We clearly that's if that's not yes. evidence that that dinner, that dinner plate, if that's not evidence of neglect, I don't know what. Is <laughs> I mean right, absolutely, and it was neglect, it's abuse, and it's murder. 
Um, the other thing you and I had talked about that um, this kind of brings up the Michelle's book, um, Killing for Profit, The Dark Side of Hospice, but you talked about when he was in the hospital that you had taken his iPad to him, but you wanted to take in a poster that had pictures so that he could see that, you know, the family, and yes, they wouldn't I, do that. So I have to be honest that. with you. I will. I Okay, back at Jupiter Medical Center with COVID restraints, and I mean COVID um, not allowing anybody to go up. Nobody's allowed to advocate. My my son actually snuck up because he's a nurse. He was able to see my dad very briefly because he was in a nursing uniform. But I had already, I we had fought. My brother actually was threatened. Um, he took it as high as he could. Please let us see him. We need to be there. They threatened to call the police. So all of that had happened. And I knew, okay, we're not going to be able to see dad. But dad... I, I put together two posters, and I blew up pictures of everybody, all of us in, his, in the family, mom, dad, me, all of us together, grandkids, and big pictures, and I made two posters. But I set up the nurse ahead of time because I knew what I was going to face. I called the charge nurse on the floor, and I said, hello, Cindy, or whatever her name was. I said, are you guys allowed to have food sent up? are you allowed to have food? Like if I were to send food up for everybody on the floor and she's like, Oh my gosh. Yes. And got so excited. Oh, we love food. We love it. And I said, great. Okay. So, um, I've made a couple of poster boards with pictures on it that I would like hung in my dad's room. Do you foresee a problem with receiving those? And there was dead silence. And she said, I'm going to have to get back with you on that. Hold on a minute. In just that tone, in just that way. She gets back onto the phone. And she says, yeah, you can bring the, you can, you can go ahead and uh, bring the posters. We'll, we'll, we'll send somebody down. The only reason that that happened was because I had trapped her. They're, you know, oh, yeah, we'll receive food. Just send the, the delivery guy to the elevator, what you told me, and we'll send a nurse down. We'll come get it. That's great. We love food. Mm-hmm. Then so come down and what? get this poster. I sat there and I waited for that nurse to come down, and she received the two posters with all of our family members. And then I called again to make sure. I said, do you need duct tape? Are you good? And she said, no, we have we have. We, 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 we have stuff to hang it. And at that time, we were able to call the nurse and, and Skype her, and I made her show me that the posters were hanging up on his wall, and they were. But the mm-hmm. point is, it was ridiculous, because had I first asked, without setting her up, had I first asked, can we bring posters up, she would have said no. Right, that's right, because the compassion, and this this goes for hospice and hospitals, and I'm not saying that they're not overworked and that, you know, they haven't had a very difficult time, you know, over these past six months, eight months. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that our loved ones have rights, our loved ones are people, and they need to be treated with respect and dignity, they need to be taken care of. 
And if the system can't take care of them, then there's a problem. And you were trying to save your dad and to find out, you know, what's going on and what can we do. And, you know, you brought him back home. You know, everything was going against you, but you were still trying to find out. And they still had not told you what was wrong. Exactly. Exactly. And to your point, when you say that they're overwhelmed, my own son as an ER nurse confirmed and said, Mom, it's true. And my son works in a public hospital, whereas Jupiter Medical Center, the parking lot was empty. So they could say whatever they wanted, but they stopped all procedures. They're, they're, trust me, they weren't overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. My hus- my son's hospital, yes, overwhelmed. But my son would be the, and he did t- tell me, Mom, COVID has given in truth. And he says, and I, 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 I'm not trying to upset you, Mom, but it is true. Nurses and doctors don't have family members in their faces, and so it happens. They get, it's like, he didn't use the word vacation, but he said, it's a respite. Really? <laughs> what do you mean, it's a he said that, like a that it's a my my yeah. my 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 son, who's an emergency room nurse, said that it's 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 like a relief, and and there are those doctors and nurses that are going to take advantage of the fact that there are not parents and family members in their faces, and they do oh, they love gotcha. it as advocates. I gotcha. Not not being in their faces. It's everything. They're not going to pay attention to your loved one unless it's their own. <laughs> right. Well, because there's nobody there to advocate, and that's, exactly. that is very important that you advocate for your loved ones. And in a normal situation, when you are at a hospital, your loved one's in a hospital in critical condition or in the hospice facility, you can stay there and be there with them and that we've talked about this before, Marty and I have you know, talked about this often, that at nighttime it's when they're going to come in and give your loved ones the drugs because there's nobody there. They just come in and they inject them or give them something and the patient doesn't know what they're taking and half the time they're asleep and they just come in and inject them. And it's for their own good because they're in pain. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if you're sleeping how it is you consider somebody's in pain. but. Right. That is what is happening. That's, you know, what we watched with with mom is they would just, you know, they were giving her drugs every four hours, whether she needed it and she didn't. Um, But that's what they're doing because the entire point is to hasten the death. And they put catheters in so they don't have to deal with the person. The person is not getting any liquids now. So, yes, their kidneys are going to shut down and their urine is going to get very dark and and less of it because they are shutting down their internal organs by no food, no hydration, and by these drugs because they are depressing their breathing the whole body is shutting down, and that is what these drugs are doing. And people don't know that until you are faced with it, and at that point you're in total shock. You don't know what to do. That's why, you know, I do the programs, and and that's why I keep saying halovoice.org. 
you know, the the websites that we've got, the um, Facebook groups, Murdered by Hospice, Voices for Seniors, you know, Michelle Young Dewar's book, Killing for Profit, The Dark Side of Hospice. There are places out there, Right to Life, every state has a facility that's called Right to Life, and whatever your state is, you need to look that up before you need it. And you and I didn't know that because nobody told us that. You know, we found out by sheer accident, you know, what was going on. Uh, Because you think, maybe you think you're the only one, and when you find out that there are other people, you realize you're not alone. You can vent, and other people will validate what you're saying because they're not thinking you're trying to blame somebody. You're just trying to find an excuse. They realize that you went through it because they went through it. There's camaraderie, but it's a sad group of people. Right. And... You know, like I told you earlier, yours is only a few months. You are still reeling with anger, grief, disbelief, (laughs) shock. I mean, all of it is just crashing in on you right now. And, you know, you, you have so much more emotions and, you know, ahead of you. But the reality is, you know, some of the people it's been five, six years, and they are still grieving, and they're, and they're still trying to understand, comprehend. They're still trying to get some type of justice. We're, none of us are looking for money. Let me make that real clear. Oh, we want I, I... somebody to recognize and validate that this happened and stop it. If I can stop add yes. to that point, my family never money was never not the issue and um we we did retain my brother retained um one of the top three malpractice lawyers that they were the ones that got my dad out of juvenile medical center but after we um finally got all the medical records and were able to send them to them and then put their investigator on it and we knew that this law firm they're assassins we knew right up front that they would not take a case unless they could not 100% win. But that's, you know, that is how impassioned we were. But we we got the verdict or their their response, and what they said was is there was there was quote there were too many variables, too many people that had their hands in my father's death that they wouldn't be able to prove one specific reason or cause and the fact that and then we later learned that it takes doctors to go you know they have to testify against their 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 colleagues and it's basically you know trying to go up against a police officer in a, in a situation not trying to say that I, I, I let take it whatever but it is like going up against <laughs> and it is. for us to be told too many, too many hands in the pot. Basically, too many variables that contributed to my father's death for them not to be able to pin one person responsible. Well, so you have we separate are. facilities. You have yes. 
you know, the 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 one, and then the second one, and then you yes. took him home, and then he was back yes. at the hospital again. So right. Right. you've got too many agencies exactly. with exactly. Yeah, and I can see what yeah. they're saying. My mom's yeah. case was one agency, but again, it's hard to prove that because people will say when you say. Um, my loved one was murdered by hospice, they look at you like, well, you know, why did you enroll them if, you know, they weren't dying anyway? I mean, that's what hospice does. Do you not know what hospice does? As though you're ignorant, the fact of the matter is people are not actively dying when somebody comes in and convinces you that we can do this for you. We can send a nurse to your house. You don't have to go to the hospital. You don't have to go to the doctor's office. We'll send a nurse mm-hmm. to check on you. We'll send a CNA mm-hmm. that will come there, and, you know, they right. can maybe prepare a meal. They can, uh, you know, straighten up the house some, you know, take care of a wound here or there. They convince you that they can come in to your home and help you, and you don't have to pay anything. Medicare and Medicaid will pay for all of it. Isn't that wonderful? And Mm. we buy into it because we need the extra help for our loved ones, you know, especially if they're older or if they're ill, that you would like to have somebody come in and help you out, address a wound. Uh, sit with them while you run out and go to the doctor's office or run to the grocery store and pick up some food. And that's what hospice comes in. And in Michelle Dewar's book, this is what she talks about, they will promise you whatever it is they think you want to hear. And so as you're talking to them and they pick up on what you need, oh, you need a sitter service? Oh, we can do that. You want somebody to bring you food? Oh, we can bring you food. They convince you that this is a win-win situation. People are being coerced, manipulated into enrolling their loved one into hospice. Their loved one does not have cancer, does not have end-stage renal failure or end-stage kidney failure. They have COPD. They've been to the hospital several times. They have broken bones. They are having a Mm -hmm. difficulty breathing. There are all different reasons. They convince you you can qualify because now the criteria is so watered down that you can qualify, and then the euthanasia process begins. How how fair is that to unsuspecting people, especially the elderly, if it's a husband and wife, and you come in and you give this song and dance, this you know, fairy tale, then they buy in, oh, you can help me. That'd be great. And you've paid into Medicare your, your whole life. Or, right. you know, you're in a situation where Medicaid is paying and you believe these people can come in and help you. And we fall for it because we're ignorant, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. No, I know. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know. So how do we get past this? I mean, that's the thing that all of us talk about. What what can we do to get to the other side? What you just did by telling your story and letting other people know that this happened to Robert Miller. And Robert and Starr would have been married 55 years this past September had they not ended your dad's life. 
he is a real person. It is a real situation, and it is heartbreaking. But you did that step to come forward to tell his story, and you're warning people, and that's what we can do. We can warn people. We can let the people that are responsible for it know that we know what they did, and we report it so that one day when it gets to the point that there are enough of us saying it, then they can go back and look. Well, this was reported here. This was reported in this month. This was this month. This was, you know, there were 15 of them in this day or in this week. If you don't report it, then there is no record of it. So we have to go forward and, you know, do that step, even though we know it's kind of futile at this point. But one day, you know, the dam will break, just like with the nursing home with the COVID cases. One day, somebody will be held responsible. You're right. So, but if there is, like, something you could say to the listeners that you would want to give them a warning based on what's happened with your dad, what would that be? Well, it would be to be cautious, to be alert, especially now because COVID COVID is not going away. And we have to blow caregivers up that are if you're not able to see your loved one you've got to be diligent you've got to be strong you've got to assume that nobody's caring for your your loved one you've got to take every measure that you can via phone via via calling risk management going up the ladder you've got to make it known that you are not it's not acceptable for people not doctors and nurses who have taken a Hippocratic oath, okay, but they're not gods. And during COVID right now, it's given them so many excuses. The COVID card, the COVID card has given them reason to not go in. It's given you a reason to not be able to advocate you, the person that knows that person better than anybody. You know when there's something wrong. You find out what they're putting in your loved one's body. You have got to be so diligent and forceful and you've got to be you have got to be a bull and you can't let it go and you have you have to you just got to make other people aware as well I'm, I, I, I don't know where to begin but my mission is to start to begin to change protocols on patient advocacy and, and being you know, making sure, as Marsha said to me, making sure that your DNR information is correct, that you are you're signed up as that person's advocate, that you have your ducks in a row because, you know what, we blindly follow what doctors and nurses tell us because they're caregivers. It's their job. Well, I'm mm-hmm. here to tell you they're not doing their job. They're not doing their job, especially during COVID. And we have to be diligent and you know, if I, it's in my very near distant future. I'm going to be with signs standing out in front of Jupiter Medical Center, the hospital that started that, that killed my father, and I'm going to be there. People that are going in for routine surgeries, for hernia, for this other or the other, 
are still not able to have people be there to say, wait, what are you putting into him? What is happening? What? We have to stand up. So I guess I may be over-answered or I'm not answering because I'm all over the board. But the bottom line is you've got, people have got to be aware that this is happening and that your loved ones are being disregarded. And it's because of money. It's because of they're going to get paid anyway. So why do they have to pay attention? I'm here to tell exactly. you. Exactly. I'm mm-hmm. here to tell you. People need to know this is going on. And this is my very first step, and I am not done. We are not done as a family. And I thank you no, for giving No, and you're not going to let it. You're not going to no, let ma'am. it happen to your mom. <laughs> oh, no. oh, my God. No. Mm-mm. No one. And anybody um, that I know. <laughs> no, you contacted an attorney that that was down there in um, Miami. But um, I also wanted to let the listeners know that there is an agency that is in California. It's called Life Legal Defense Foundation. They're in California, but they have access to pro-life attorneys all over the United States. So if you are in a situation where you're trying to get your loved one out, and you can't get an attorney to take the case, Life Legal Defense Foundation can recommend a pro-life attorney in your area, and they would work very hard for you to try to get your loved one out. They are familiar with this situation. So that that's another um, website and, you know, get phone numbers that you have handy for that. Back to... Um, halovoice.org, the phone number that I gave you a while ago, 881-221-HALO, something that you just said made me think of this, Stephanie. Um, They are always looking for volunteers for people, and they train you. They'll give you like a booklet that tells you how to answer certain questions. They have the list that people call in and ask questions, and they are looking for volunteers to man this phone line so that you can help other people. So that's something um, you might want to consider and some of the listeners might want to consider to volunteer to help and you get trained and that you can answer the phone and help people. If you've been through this yourself, you know how painful, how devastating it is, and you can help somebody else. And that to me is a great thing to do for the loved one you lost to try to help somebody not lose theirs. So it's education. They also Mm -hmm. have um, examples of medical power of attorney on the halovoice.org site that you can go to and protect yourself. Go ahead and get that in order and make sure that you trust the person that you're giving medical power of attorney to. Um, I've been talking to a couple of people recently that have lost one of them, um, a mother-in-law, and another one that lost um, their mom because the person that they put in charge to get the medical power of attorney didn't really care about the person, and the person mm-hmm. died under that, that one's care because they mm-hmm. were tired of dealing with them. So be careful who you give medical power of attorney to. It, it could be very dangerous. Um, The other thing that you'll find on the Halo Voice site is information on brain death and about how being a donor on your driver's license, if you don't have that on there, it's automatically assumed that you are an organ donor. 
and there is such a thing called organ harvesting that is happening today. Body parts are very, very um, expensive, and a lot of people making a whole lot of money off of that. So there is a card that you can get with halovoice.org that says, I do not want to be an organ donator because I want to protect myself. And there is a whole lot of information on that site that everybody needs to be aware of. So, um, again, the Murdered by Hospice site is a Facebook group. You do have to answer questions. You don't get in. Everybody is vetted, and it's to protect the members that are there. They've already been through a lot, so it's their protection. Voices for Seniors is another group that's that's a good group with the COVID situation. There are places out there that you can talk to people. People will validate that your story is real. And just like Stephanie's story about her dad is real, and she has to grapple with what she does next and how to deal with this. But you know that you did everything you could to protect your dad. So do not let the guilt fall on your shoulders. It is not there where it belongs. That's very important that you realize you're not responsible. I appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you. So you're welcome. So I think we have run out of time, and unless there's anything else that you would like to add, no, I just I thank you very much for giving me the forum, and um, I will sleep a little bit better tonight, knowing that you know maybe somebody listens, or maybe somebody will realize, you know, that we have to remain uber uber diligent because no one else is doing it except for you and your family members. Nobody's going to do that for you except no. for you know. So um, thank you, thank you so very much. Oh, you're welcome. And you may have saved somebody's life tonight. Somebody who's listening heard what you said, and it may save a life. And if we save one life, we've done good. So that's, <laughs> that's what it's about. So um, if anybody has a story that they want to tell, as um, Stephanie did tonight, you can contact me at Marsha Joyner, 2018 at com. Or you can go through Marty Oakley and her TS Radio Network show and find me there as well. All of our programs are archived. You can go back and listen to any of them, as well as Marty Oakley has a lot more programs that she does almost nightly uh, about some very interesting information and um, quite an education listening to her programs as well. She covers many, many more topics than I do. So with that, um, Stephanie, I'd like to thank you for coming on and telling your story. And for the listeners, thank you for joining us this evening. And Marty Oakley, as always, thank you for allowing us this forum to tell people the reality and not sugarcoat it. Good night, everybody. We'll see you in two weeks. Good night. Thank you. Good night.